7.05. Sit, gra- uh, sit back, grab your scotch, and nice cigar. It's time for Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean got you covered as well. Big show on tap for you tonight. Just moments after Ira on Sports went off air yesterday or last week, we heard huge news. And it was about a free agent signing that I don't think many people saw coming. We'll touch on that. As well as what's our worst and best signing so far, the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes. It rolls on Carmelo Anthony is a free agent. More on that. Plus, a lot of World Cup soccer and Major League Baseball to cover tonight on Ira on Sports. It's very quiet tonight in the studio here, and that might be a good thing because I'm all alone. That means Ira and Sean both on the phone. Ira, where have you been? Well, I was been in uh, Florida, California, and New York, so traveling around uh, different places, but uh, haven't been to any events yet. Uh, I'm going to go to probably baseball game, a couple of baseball games this week, but uh, uh, certainly it's, uh, this is a great – I love this time of year for sports because we can focus on, on our show. We're going to talk about tennis. We're going to talk about golf. We're going to talk about soccer. We're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about boxing. We're going to talk about basketball. And we're not going to talk about football, even though every <laughs> night, five, ten minutes of my time, I take getting ready for my fantasy draft in September. So, uh, you know, because we know football is coming in two months, and we've got so much to talk about when that comes. So, but I enjoy, I love all types of sports. I love all sports. And uh, this is great. And this World Cup is, I mean, it's just taking over everywhere I go. Every bar is packed. And it's really what everyone's talking about. You know, Ira, it's interesting you bring up fantasy sports because I thought I was the only one already doing research for this year's uh, NFL fantasy draft. I can't wait to cover uh, more fantasy insider information here on Ira on Sports. Um, You know, Ira, if you're planning, you said you're getting in some baseball games this week. If you're going down to Marlins Park, I don't know if you've heard this, they've been going with the roof open at night, man. That's a little sweaty for me. Well, we, I saw the Pirates game down there when the roof was open, and I thought it was nice. I know it's warm, I, but I, I think they're finding that being outdoor baseball, when it's closed, I don't like the atmosphere there. Now, I know you don't want it to rain on you and everything, but uh, I saw two Pirate games, one with the roof open, one with the roof closed, and I certainly much more enjoyed the roof open than closed. I, I, I totally agree with that. I don't like the sweat, but have you ever been to a game at the Trop in Tampa Bay? I mean, it is arguably the worst stadium in all of professional sports, and we're going to touch on one that you think is close to that, Ira, coming up uh, as far as NBA goes, but... The indoor aspect of baseball just really takes it away from me, Ira, and that's why I, you know, big Yankee fan, I haven't been back to Tampa in three years. Well, I think it's, look, what baseball, and I made this prediction, I think, on our show, in 10 years, every stadium is going to have to have a tractable roof because you can't have these rain delays that are killing baseball and the snow delays and the cold weather at the beginning part. So you're going to see retractable roof. There's technology to have retractable roofs going forward. And I think you're going to start to see that because for scheduling, for television, you're going to have to have every game played when it's supposed to be played. But from pure beauty of watching a game, yeah, you want to see it outside. I do think it would add to a lot of cities' allure, especially northern cities, to trying to join an all-star game. Not that it's really hot at, you know, at the end of July, but it's still like enticing. You know, In Florida, you could rain out an entire all-star weekend. It'd be nice to have that closed roof. When they built Target Field, uh, the Minnesota uh, Twins' new stadium just, what, two years ago, and they went open air in Minnesota, I thought it was one of the craziest things that I've ever heard of, but obviously they're making it work. But who wants to attend a game in late March, early April in Minnesota? A little too cold for me. 709 Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Sean's usually here with me as well. He's on the phone. Sean, you were in Miami all day, and you got back a little late. You know how Miami traffic goes. What were you trying to broker a deal between David Beckham and Miami-Dade and the city of Miami to get the stadium finally done? I am an integral part of Miami Freedom Park coming down here. So, yes, that's what I was doing all day. I had my hard hat on. I brought my spade shovel, and I was ready to, to start digging. Uh, Ira, you would know more about this than me, and it seems like one of the big talks around South Florida uh, recently, you know, we've got the World Cup coming here in eight years. We need a first-class facility in Miami. We need to draw these games. Yeah, they might play them at whatever Dolphin Stadium's called in eight, eight years from now, but people need a real soccer village, a soccer venue. Ira, where are we at with this? I think, well, the one thing that soccer has figured out, and I know when Pele played in New York and they played the old Giant Stadium in front of 80,000 people, soccer realizes that in order to make soccer work in the United States is to have the 
30,000, 25,000 seat stadiums, soccer only with the sight lines for soccer, uh, and those are perfect, and they've done great. I mean, Columbus is, is a great stadium, the new Red Bull Stadium. Uh, they're building a new stadium in Los Angeles. They're building not only the football stadium, but also the soccer stadium very close by uh, in, in Carson. So it's very exciting to see this, and, and I think you know, in Miami now, they're focused on where they're going to put it, and there's some interest that wanted in Overton on a small little parcel right uh, downtown Miami, and other people want to put it out, and I think the team, the Beckham group, is looking to put it out by the airport in a much larger 70-acre uh, complex uh, where they're going to have office buildings and retail and make it uh, more, as you said, a soccer village uh, with soccer-related items, more of an international setting. So it seems that that might be the area it goes. It's going to be, this is all privately financed, and we're not talking about the Miami. We're talking about where they're going to let them build it. Um, this is not the baseball stadium. It's, it's, it's going to be a privately financed stadium. So from the perspective of the taxpayers, they'll be happy about that. Uh, Ira, will this, you know, I don't want to sidetrack into baseball, but you brought me to a question that I didn't really think about. Here in Palm Beach County, we have two facilities. One of them is more the soccer village. That's your Abacoa, your Roger Dean Stadium, where you get to see the Cardinals and the Marlins. But there's also a lot to do outside the stadium. You've been there a dozen times. You've also been to the ballpark of the Palm Beaches where the Nationals and the Astros play. Not so much. I mean, it's a huge complex. It's beautiful, but not so much to do around it. How would you take these comparisons and look at them the way the Beckham Group is? Well, I, I, we talk about this on the – I traveled at so many events – um, downtown Cleveland after the game to go to the casino, uh, go to the restaurants in Pittsburgh, the casino, the restaurants. And I think I'm gambling all the time, but just the point that when there's other venues around it, when it's when you can make an experience, you can have dinner before, dinner afterwards, meet other people out, make it a night. Uh, it's better to be in an area that's even like if I mentioned a place like San Antonio. You would think, oh my gosh, it must be perfect. No, the stadium, the football stadium is downtown. The basketball stadium is like near 10 distribution centers. Like there's nowhere to go. You can't get a, you can't go to a convenience store from the stadium. There's the only way is get in your car and drive out. So even where Golden State is, you can't walk around. It, it's the point is that I do think it really helps to have the stadium and with the energy that everything brings. When you see on television and you see people in the stadium, like in Toronto, and they're actually in the stadium, that everyone's outside the stadium and they're at the bars, I think that looks great. I think when you put the games the big screen. So it would hope that if they can create that type of environment, but the city's saying, well, if they put in Overton, they'll have other, it'll create development around that area. But the residents, some residents don't want it there. Um, it's a battle. Hopefully, the one thing I would hope for is that in the fighting where the stadium is going to be, it doesn't mean they don't get one because there's too much interest where everybody's pulling different ways and that it ends up like five years from now, they're still fighting on where a stadium. You would hope that at one point they're going to get a stadium. This same thing happened in San Diego. San Diego wanted their football stadium. That's why they lost their football team because they couldn't come to an agreement where to put the stadium. The money was sort of in place, or the idea was in place, but everybody's fighting on where to put the stadium and they ended up losing their team for it. So I hope they come to a quick agreement on where to put it. I, I totally agree. I think this is not going to be a quick agreement. And I think that the Beckham is going to be fighting with both the county and the city for years trying to get this done. We have a deadline now of eight years from now to get this stadium operational if we want to see World Cup games uh, down here. 714, it's Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldie Channel, Mike and Sean here as well. Ira, it was the talk of sports from about six minutes after we went on the air or went off the air last week. DeMarcus Cousins, uh, this guy signed a small contract by what we're seeing these days. I think a $5.47 million one-year deal with Golden State and Ira. This is all sports media can talk about. I was shocked by it, too. I... I I mean, DeMarcus Cousins tore his Achilles tendon. Um, he has been a troublemaker, and suddenly he signs with Golden State. It was a shock to me. I mean, I, I knew they were looking for a center, uh, but you would thought that for the amount they signed for him, because that's sort of what they had available, and you're thinking, well, he's going to go to the Lakers or go to – there were uh, so many other options. Or back to New Orleans. I mean, when New Orleans would have had him back and back there for another year. Um, I think it shocked everyone. No one heard they was talking about it. Now, it was interesting how it went down. And when he found out nobody was interested in him, he called Golden State's GM on Monday morning. It wasn't like they were outside his door waiting at midnight. He just called and said, are you guys interested? And he said, sure. And he goes, but why don't you talk to the other players? So he talks to Steph Curry, talks to Draymond Green, talks to Kevin Durant. He knows these guys from playing. He played in the Olympics, played in the World Championships with them. He had a relationship. They're the ones who said, yeah, you should come here. This would be great. This would work out. And then by the end, so he makes the phone call, I think, 9 o'clock in the morning. And by, well, we heard about 7 o'clock, so we were 4 or 5. By 4 or 5 in the afternoon, it's done. The deal's finished uh, to go to Golden State. Uh, that was 
I mean, it was a shock, and, and I think, but I think people have totally overreacted to this decision um, and th- thinking that it just tips the balance, that now Golden State's completely unbeatable, all those other things, and so Adam Silver should step in and stop this, and it's what's wrong with basketball and wrong with sports, and it seems like that's what they're talking about for five days. It almost dwarfed the LeBron James discussion of him <laughs> signing with the Lakers, which DeMarcus Cousins, of course, is no player anywhere clear to LeBron James. You know, Ira, it's interesting. I thought the same thing. It's a huge move. But this is a guy who may not play until February. Uh, And a big guy coming off an Achilles injury, these don't heal well. And there's a laundry list of examples of big men who've come back and their play and their production has just been diminished. Uh, The only player to even have a salvageable career after this is Elton Brand, played about nine years, but he went from a 20 and 10 guy to a 12 and 6 guy. You know, in the in the latter years, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, it is adding more you know pieces to a puzzle that's already assembled. Sean Lagrega, he's here. Sean, what do you think? This this trade getting blown out of proportion? Sports media going crazy? What's your take? No, I mean, I think I think the media covering this is is what it is. I mean, this was going to be one of the most targeted people on free agency, uh, going to, you know, the, the next dynasty in sports and the Golden State Warriors and for what he's getting paid and the story of how it came out. I mean, it's almost unreal. I mean, it, it did come out that the Pelicans offered him two years, $40 million, and he declined that. So for me, I think the story is more, this is a huge bet on himself. Okay, yes. we're not going to know what type of player he is until January. So we can speculate, what is he going to Is he going to fit? He's not going to see the court until January. And at that point, you know, this is now where we've seen with the Warriors, they don't care about setting the, the, the regular season records. He's going to get some play. You know, they're, they're going to be Western guys. I, I just think, you know, it, it's unbelievable to see a, a person of his talent, even with the injury, to go in and take that dollar amount when there was more money on the table. And, 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 and the fact is, too, the Pelicans weren't a bad team. I know they're not the Golden State Warriors, but, I mean, he was a guy that averaged, you know, I think 26, 13, and 6 on that team that swept uh, the Portland Trailblazers in the first round. Um, so I, it just, I, I think the, the media insanity that's going behind this, this frenzy, is because, one, the player, he's so polarizing. The team is so polarizing. The situation in which he landed there was so, you know, not the norm of how free, free agency has gone. So um, we'll see. But we're going to have to wait till at least January, you know, due to the injury to, to see how it's going to be uh, and play out. You know, Ira, Sean brings up a good point. We don't know what we're going to see from a maybe diminished uh, Boogie Cousins in Golden State. But we know what he's done already. And Ira, he's got a pretty impressive resume leading in. Well, I think his resume is on, on stat-wise. I mean, fantasy-wise, phenomenal. I mean, in any most fantasy basketball drafts, he's one of the top five players taken uh, for the last two, three years. 27 yeah. points a game, 2016, 11.5 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1.5 blocks, 1.6 steals. He's a for a big guy, he's probably the best uh, foul shooter in the league, 74%. He shoots 35% from threes, making two a game. So he passes the ball well. He's a low-post present. He's 27 years old. Um, but the negatives with him is that he is, I mean, Paul Westfall in 2012, when he was a rookie, sent him home trying to put some discipline in him. And Westfall was, Westfall was fired two weeks later as coach. Wow. I mean, he has been getting coaches <laughs> fired. He has record is one about the third of his games that he's played. He's never played in a playoff game. He's been in the league eight years. Uh, he's, and, and I, again, think with, with the money that people talked about, he was supposedly going to get. That was the Pelicans now have come out and said they offered him that before, but it, his agents have said no, there was nothing on the table. And what I think is hilarious almost is everyone says how unfair this is. If it's so unfair, then why didn't other teams give him more money? There was an easy way. The, the Warriors were willing to take the risk of he has certainly character problems. He causes problems, but they feel that their locker room is tight enough that they can work with him, and they're willing to take it. Other teams weren't. Boston wasn't interested in him that much. They weren't willing to go through. They had some interest, but these other teams, the Lakers past. The Lakers could have had cousins, but they were willing to spend the money, whatever it is, that little amount of money, but take them on the team. And these other teams, rather the fans saying, this is unfair, this is around. Well, their teams could have signed him. Yeah, and the other point is, you mentioned about the Achilles. It's the one injury people say, well, the ACL. I mean, we can see players come back from ACL injuries successful. 
But it, it, this doesn't just diminish people's career, it ends it. Anderson Varejo was a similar type player to him, somewhat in size-wise. He never hardly played a game after that. Lafonso Ellis down. Uh, Chris, um, uh, um, Elton Brand couldn't even, I mean, you mentioned that, but he couldn't even jump the last few years. <laughs> he was on his way to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, Christian Leitner went from 16 points to 8 points a game. Uh, Chauncey Billups had ended his yeah, career. Billups career out. has come back similar, but it's now people are saying, wait, there's better recovery time, there's better ways to do this. Um, I think another advantage that I have not heard anyone in sports media talk about is that Golden State's medical staff is probably in the top two or three in the league. Phoenix, Golden State, uh, Miami maybe. They're, it's just elite. And when you look at that, think of the injuries that Steph Curry had to his ankles and all the ankle problems he has and how he's able to play these games and when he had injuries with his knee in the playoffs and ankles and able to come back. And Durant two years ago when he hurt his leg and he was able to come back. They really have a tremendous staff. They know what they're doing. And I think Cousins looked at that saying, I like to work with these guys, and they then they're not going to overwork me. It's going to be a great, of course, great situation. But uh, I, look, it, he he holds the ball too much when he passes. He probably won't move around. But the one thing that Golden State needed was they needed someone to rebound the basketball. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland played four games and they out rebounded Golden State every single game. So they needed someone who was going to take that ball when they need to get the ball inside and and outperform Al Horford and outperform these other centers that in the league. And that's what maybe he's not going to play 40 minutes, but he can play 20. And those 20 minutes are not going to be just like oh run up and down the floor, but actually be productive during that 20 minute time. You know, Ira, that brings up a good point, and that's my next question on Boogie Cousins here before we wrap him up. What do you think the fit's going to be? Let's say February comes around. Golden State, of course, is, you know, they're in first place. They're cruising for a number one seed, number two seed. He's healthy. Everything, everyone's getting along. What's his role going to be outside of that? I was thinking about just from the physicality aspect. You've got guys like Steph Curry. He's soft. Um, Draymond's not necessarily soft, but I don't consider him a, quote, tough guy. Kevin Durant, this guy's not fighting anybody. Sometimes you need that big bruiser down low in the paint that you just don't want your guards to be driving on. Ira, how do you see this team working? Well, I see it. I see it working fine because I think in the playoffs you saw with Houston, they were having trouble out rebounding Houston. There's games that Golden State won; they were out rebounded by 20 rebounds. Um, and I also think there's another aspect that I haven't heard a lot of discussion on this: is that this team got bored. You can see Golden State get they win, huh. they win a lot, they win a lot of games, they win a lot of games by a lot of points. This is something to keep them interested. They want to incorporate in their offense. Sure, they're not going to look like they looked three years ago before Durant. They're going to have a pass the ball. But I think it puts a challenge on Steph, challenge on Durant. They want to make this work. They like, these players like DeMarcus Cousins. They want to make this work, and it's going to keep them motivated. So in the middle of January and he comes back in February, when everybody's bored with basketball, maybe they're going to be excited to say, let's see how this works. Let's see how we can integrate him in there into the offense and, and work with him. So I think that's going to, from that aspect alone, of keeping them interested. And you know what? If this is a total disaster and he's a cancer in the locker room and he it's a complete disaster the one thing is they're only invested four million dollars it's yeah. not a huge it's a one-year deal it's not a long-term investment that we're going to talk about some of these other contracts that can go away soon yeah, there's not much uh, of a risk here for golden state i mean he can come in and be a little bit of a cancer like you said and then you just sit the guy or you buy him out for whatever is, you know, whatever the deal would be. I don't think they have much of a risk. Sean brought up a great point earlier about this is like his proving grounds. Now he's looking for a big contract after this. Coming off an Achilles injury, he's going to be coming into work. I think. Sean, how do you think this fit will work out with a healthy boogie on top of the best team already? You know, I I bring up a good point. I, I you know I think at this point Steve Kerr is doing the best job outside of Brad Stevens with you know managing talent, especially you know, the, the superstars that are in his locker room, to add a guy like this, he, you know, you always see, you, we've been seeing the videos over and over again, these guys, you know, uh, laughing and, and having a good time during their Olympic days. Um, and, uh, you know, but he is a strong personality. He does have that negative side to him where, you know, we might see that from Draymond Green a little bit, but also Draymond Green has three rings, so, it, you know, he carries some weight behind that. So I think that they'll be able to temper that portion of it in the locker room. It is a proving year for him. He's going to come out. He's going to want to play big minutes. But I think that's where it could go wrong. At the end, if he's not physically where he needs to be and he thinks he is and he's not getting the playing time because now all of a sudden he has to integrate with this team, you know, without practicing come, uh, you know, January, February, you know, is, is Boogie Cousins going to come out? I know there's not a lot of big investment, but even just for this year, do they cut him? Do they have to send him home and just, you know, if, if it does get to that point? I hope it doesn't. One thing, though, uh, I, don't, I thought it was interesting when I saw it, 
Uh, Mike Gannatoni, uh, head coach of the Houston Rockets, came out and had a quote, and I just want to go over it. Great player, great individual talent. We get all that. I'm not taking any, anything away from There's two ways it could go. Either it fits or it doesn't. Obviously, in Houston, we're hoping it doesn't fit, but we don't know that. We'll see how it plays out. I do know what he's going to have to. He's going to have to guard James Harden. I do know that. So we'll see how it works out. And just things like that, that's why we're concentrating on the positives. One thing that he's going to have to do, especially in the West, going against Houston, who seems to be their number one rival right now, who, you know, without Chris Paul for two games, took it uh, seven games, they're going to be playing that pick and, uh, pick and roll up top. And Boogie Cousins on a bad Achilles is going to have to go out top, make that switch, and guard James Harden one-on-one. So, so even going that deep, I mean, you had the head coach, uh, Mike D'Antoni, the Houston Rockets, thinking that deep um, where that could be a liability. So I just think there's a lot of things that go into it. You know, I hope, you know, the best for him, I hope he can recover. I mean, he's one of the best talents that we've seen in some years uh, for everything that he does. He's a jack-of-all-trades guy. Um, but but I, I think only time will tell on how does his attitude, how does he mesh with the game plan on the court, and how is he going to be able to, you know, acclimate uh, to playing, you know, their biggest rival right now, the Houston Rockets. You know, Ira, before we move on from uh, from DeMarcus Cousins, I want to talk f- for a moment about this, because we were talking about stadiums and how they're built, and there is a big draw to a free agent about the facility. Where do I play? Where do I live? W- what is around me? You happen to think that Oracle and the setup in Golden State is kind of terrible compared to most facilities, yet they have no issue bringing in the big players. Well, I think that just shows. I mean, you see, the Division Two and Division Three football schools say, "Look, we got a better stadium, better locker room. Uh, please, people, come here." But I think in the NBA, it doesn't really matter stadium. It doesn't even matter location. It matters the players. So when you have guys like this, is a group of players that like being there, that like playing with each other. It can recruit other players. Um, the Hamptons Five or Hamptons Four recruited Durant to be the Hamptons Five, and now they've recruited Cousins. And that's the way the NBA is going for a lot of these teams. Is that if you have a good group of core people, they're able to bring people in. And I, the one other topic that people talk about this is, oh, I'm not bored with the NBA. Everybody knows Golden State's going to win. This is terrible. This is awful. The NBA has had 72 titles. 33 of the 72 have been won by the Lakers and, uh, and the Celtics. Uh, 17 for the Celtics, 16 for the Lakers. The Bulls won six. Golden State's won six. Um, the league has been known forever to have dominant teams. Every year when, when the Heat were formed, everyone thought LeBron, Wade, and Bosch could not lose a game. Uh, the Bulls at their top of their peak, that, like, they were the heavy favorites all the time. Um, I, people are still going to watch. The league is growing in popularity. People enjoy it. But these announcers and commentators keep saying, I'm bored with the league. I don't have any interest on it. The ratings next year are going to be up over this year. LeBron's in the Lakers. The Warriors are going to be great. Boston's going to be exciting. Everyone's going to watch the NBA. And, and everyone's going to watch to see. You know, when Mike Tyson was the heavy favorite to always win, everybody watched his boxing matches because they want to see him lose. So just because Golden State's a heavy favorite doesn't mean people are going to try not watch to see if someone's going to beat them. You know, Ira, yeah, that, that's like saying if these announcers and, you know, media commentators are bored of that, go cover uh, the Diamondbacks and the Padres for a while. See, see how much fun that is compared to seeing dynasties unfold before your eyes. 728 Ira on Sports 95.9. It's the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Ira, so NBA free agency, it's in full swing. We're starting to see teams shape up, and that's what I love. I love to talk about signings, though. Ira, worst signing so far. What do you think? Who was the mistake that's been made so far? One major one, Aaron Gordon, four years, $84 million. He's a 43% shooter, 18 points, eight rebounds, $21 million. I, I said I talk about fantasy all the time. I have some leagues where he's not even on. No one will pick him up. I think he's very inconsistent. They didn't want to pay. You know, they, I, I just think to build your team around Aaron Gordon for $21 million, I know they have to pay somebody, but I don't think he's the person to, to pay. And I think the Magic, uh, of course, they're playing in a brand-new arena, too, a, a nice arena, and they cannot somehow get this started again. And I just don't think Gordon's the building block to be doing anything. And I also, I'm nervous about Zach Levine in terms of the Bulls. I mean, he's getting paid about uh, $18 million a year and uh, on, a, on a four-year deal. And he averaged 16.3 assists, but he's coming back from an ACL uh, injury that he had two years ago. Um, again, you know, it's the one-year deals don't concern me. Oh, yeah, one year, it works, whatever. When you sign a four-year deal, when suddenly your contracts, you're seeing what the Heat have. The Heat have players that cannot perform up to their contracts, and that kills them because they're not able to sign other free agents and, and that way. Uh, I think those two, when you go four years, you've got to be certain that this player is going to be a great player. That You've got to look at the fourth year and say, they're going to be great that fourth year. Ira, speaking about Levine, I've got a, a thing in my head. 
whenever Sacramento Kings are trying to take a player <laughs> off your hands, you let Sacramento take that player. Obviously, they don't know what's going on over there. They, I think they matched uh, his offer sheet. Sean, what about you? Worst signing so far through free agency? I, I, I agree with Ira on, on Zach Levine, the four-year, $78 million. You know, At least with Aaron Gordon, you know, there's, there's something there. You know, With Levine, it's last year, you know, due to the knee injury, he only played 24 out of 82 games. Um, you know, so it's it's something that one is he good enough to warrant that money? Two, you want a is dunk the contract contest. movable <laughs> down the future? You know, the Bulls had to do this though. This was the centerpiece essentially to giving up Jimmy Butler. So how do you yes. go back to your fans and say, hey, the guy we traded for, you know, you know that we gave up Jimmy Butler because he wanted out of town, and this was the big name that we uh, brought back. Um, I, I think they had to do him with the cap space, but he's just too unproven. Um, that's a lot of coin to dish out to a young guy who's injury prone. Um, and, and, and like I was said, I mean, you could go look at the Miami Heat with giving guys that are young, haven't really proved it, but seem like they have upside, and let's give them four-year deals, you know, at almost, you know, $19, $20 million per. And, you know, we see the, you know, the, the, the cap hell that Miami Heat is in right now. They can't even move any of those players, nor can they sign new players. So um, other free agents. So I think Zach Levine, in terms of what he's proven so far and the year and the dollar amount, I, I think you have to definitely go uh, with Zach Levine. You know, Ira, before we get into the, uh, the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes, which is clearly the uh, the one piece left to fall here in free agency, we can talk about good signings all day. I don't think anyone's going to say LeBron James is a bad signing. Um, what about an under-the-radar signing, Ira? What is something that you saw happen, maybe a role maker or just a, a piece of the puzzle that you saw that uh, really impressed you? I liked um, a weird one, Kyle Anderson of the Spurs. I've always thought he was a really good player. They only gave him like 25 minutes a game, and he went for four years, $37 million to the Grizzlies, uh, Memphis. I think he's going to be a really good player in this league. I think he's going to get a lot of time. He's going to play like 40 minutes. And I think you look at some of these players that are played like 15, 20 minutes, and they suddenly play 40. So I think it's not a $9 million a year. Not that big a deal, not that much big an investment, and I think he could become a super. That that's a contract that I see where the guy on his next contract could be getting twenty five million a year. Um, the other one I like is Dwight. I thought Dwight Howard to the Wizards was good. They really needed to change. They needed something. Whether it's going to work or not, you could put all those combustible personalities together. But maybe it's going to work out. He still puts up good numbers, and he's going to be a presence inside. And I, I the, the Wizards have got to do something, and at least they tried something bringing Howard in. And it's only two years at eleven million, so it's not a huge investment. Sean, anybody you saw pop in under the radar as a nice little free agent acquisition? Well, I did like, I did, I did like the Dwight because I thought the, the way the Wizards play, they play so fast, and Gortat, you could see, just slowing them down. Dwight Howard last year averaged uh, nearly 17 and 13, so he can definitely, do, uh, can definitely still play. But I have to go with Rajon Rondo. Now, that one may not have flown under the radar because it's the Lakers. It was after LeBron got there, um, and he's a bigger name. But in terms of what they, what, what they paid for him, and in, I just think he has championship pedigree. You know, we got to get those type of guys around LeBron. Um, you know, so that's not a question. His presence in the starting lineup last year for the Pelicans morphed them into a team that swept the Portland Trailblazers. You know, out of the first round. I mean, Portland's always been one of those teams higher in the seating in, in um, uh, the Western Conference. Yeah. Give teams trouble. Usually wins their first round. Um, great young talent there. So just by him coming to the Pelicans, who you know weren't even making the playoffs, so to sweep the Blazers, that was pretty much on his back. I know Anthony Davis played unbelievable, but the presence that Rajon Rondo brought, the coach on the court, um, I, he's just a winner. And and on a team that has as many young, talented players like the Lakers, the veterans that are winners, you need guys like that. So I just thought. What he brings to that team and what they got him for, I thought the uh, Rondo signing was huge. Last question in basketball. Let's make this one quick. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, I assume, Ira, will be signed or uh, obviously traded and signed to somebody by the time we do this show next Monday night. Where do you see him going? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be. I think the Spurs are still holding on. I'm not sure about that. We talked about that off the air, and I just... I think, I mean, he seems all over the board. He won't give a press conference. He won't talk. Um, I, it's, uh, and, and, and he's complaining about his endorsements. I mean, if a person doesn't talk, doesn't Twitter, doesn't do anything, and then complains about what endorsements, and it didn't even play last year, uh, I, think, I, think the, I think the public is turning on Leonard, even in San Antonio. They're like, we, now we hear, like, well, we, the Clippers would be good enough for him when he said to Los Angeles, even anywhere in Los Angeles. I, I think people are tired of it. I think they're tired of him. It's like, you're under contract to play next year. They signed you. They're paying you $22 million. If you're going to play, play. If not, then sit out. I don't know. But it's like, I think people are like, you know, 
why stop either talk and come you know forward and, and say something because he's not saying anything he doesn't have an agent and uh, it's just dragging on and the Spurs I, I think the Spurs though don't want the distraction so I agree with you that it's becoming such a distraction to the Spurs and they're sick of answering that question and the Spurs have always said we have no distractions no distractions and this is now yeah. the number one distraction so they might forced to be forced to trade him, but I still don't think so. I think they're going to teach him. I think they're going to keep him uh, for, I don't think it's going to be so fast that they make that decision. 735, it's Ira on Sports. We're on the True Oldies channel, 95.9 for the Palm Beaches, 106.9 on the Treasure Coast. Mike and Sean here as well. Heck of a weekend, or just past week in soccer. The World Cup gets better every single match, and Ira... I'm really happy that, uh, you know, between me and Sean and everyone that loves Ira on sports, we got you into this, man. You were watching every game this past weekend. Well, it's great. And I wish, though, I, I, I said this last week, I just wish that every sport was like the World Cup because it makes it so easy to watch. I go to these places where I'm like, they never have the game on. It's not, I mean, they won't even have a TV. Like, there's restaurants that you would never see a television. Oh, there's TV set up, there are big screens with sound. Like, hi, it's, uh, every, I go to uh, gas stations, convenience stores. Everyone's into it, and people know what's going on. They know the players. Uh, it's, it's definitely a type of sport that, and it, it captivates. I don't know why they don't do it every two years, because to see what interest it comes into it, and the match has been close. Uh, very exciting, and and you know, and the great thing about the World Cup now is you have four teams that are left. That all you could make a strong case for any one of those four teams, and if, and, and no one's going to say, "Oh, that's not going to happen." Every one of them, it's almost has a as an even shot to to win the title. One of the um, you know, usually we do biggest shocker, you know, stuff like that. My shocker, you know, now going into the final four teams is. There's not a single team outside of Europe. There's no South American team, no uh, you know Northern American team. Obviously, Asian teams are knocked out already. We're going to look at France, Belgium, Croatia, and England. Let's get into the big game tomorrow. And this one, I think both games are going to be great, but this one's going to be a slugfest. It's two teams that are kind of predicated on being fancy, and that's France and Belgium. They're trying to change their image around the world, and that we're kind of tough, too. Um, Sean, we'll start with you. France versus, Vel- uh, France versus Belgium tomorrow. Who do you like? Well, I just want to point out that since all this started, the two teams that I've liked the most are playing, and that's France and Belgium. But, I mean, it's so tough because France at this point probably has the deepest squad. Uh, Forget about left. I mean, I think definitely left they have the deepest squad. But over the course of this tournament, um, they've had the deepest team. But Belgium, something about, you know, those attacking three with Lukaku, um, Hazard, and uh, Dabam, unbelievable. I mean, the way Belgium attacks and how quick it happens, I, I just, they look so strong. And then with that back line, I mean, that back wall, they're towering. So in terms of, I, I think, the more skilled team is France, but Belgium has just been overpowering people with size and speed this entire tournament. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with Belgium. You know, it's interesting you bring up that aspect of Belgium. Belgium reminds me a lot of the Netherlands of four years ago. Nobody yeah. really knew who these guys were. Eden Hazard is the next uh, Van Persie. He's the next Luka Modric. Yeah. He's the next Diego Forlan. He's taking over this tournament on his back. And... I think they beat France tomorrow. So uh, yeah. this is going to be something to be watching for. But, it, you know, people didn't know about Eden Hazard. They're going to know about him now. For- unfortunately, he's on the backside of his career. He's not a young kid like a lot of these guys we're seeing. Ira, you have any take on France-Belgium tomorrow? This is going to be a good one. Well, I think the Belgians win over Brazil. They get up to a 2 nothing lead, and, uh, and, they, and they're holding on. I mean, and we talked about the speed. Brazil has speed, and, and I thought Belgium matched it. Belgium was able to control the ball, uh, and then when you know, and, and then of course Neymar, the star for Brazil, they're able to every time they touch the ball, they were they were frustrating him. I think the, uh, defensively and offensively, they seemed like a complete team. Uh, France had a great win on Uruguay, and France has played great. But I I, I like I like Belgium's win over Brazil. I felt like they to me they had the feel of a championship team. The fact that they could get those early goals, jump out to lead, they they were ready to play, and then to be able to hang on. And uh, play good defense there. With, I think that's. I think that to me, a slight favorite. But it, it'll, it'll, it's one of those games that'll probably go to penalty kicks. You know, Ira, that was a great uh, analysis of Belgium. Though they they're going to play disciplined before they show their skill. The Brazilian side will come out and show you every bit of skill they have in the first sixty minutes, and Belgium's going to sit back, 
wait for you to make a mistake, and then, oh my God, I didn't realize that right back could run a 4-3. You know, and he's just sprinting through your entire defensive line. This is why I like teams more than players once it gets to this level. 740, I run sports, True Oldies channel. Speaking about teams, and Sean had to gloat about it already, my pick to win it all, the Croats, the Vatreni, the Blazers from Croatia. They're going to play England, and... England's really an upstart team. Uh, I didn't. I don't know if I saw them making it out of the group stage, Sean. Now they're in the semifinals of the World Cup, and all they've done is disappoint with the Wayne Rooney's, the Paul Scholes of the world. They've done nothing with the best players. Now you got a young man named Harry Kane and a bunch of small-time EPL players. They're in the semis. Croatia, England, Wednesday, two p.m. Sean, who do you like? It's coming home. What's the song that they've been singing this whole time? I, I think England's got it. I think Croatia is definitely the more talented team. But whenever you get to a tournament like that, there's always like a team that everybody kind of rallies behind. And I think right now the excitement every time you cut, when, when, when you're watching a game and they cut to you know, London and the fans, I mean, are losing it. It, it, it's, it's, there's excitement around this team. They're playing well. Harry Kane up for Golden Boot. Um, uh, the goalie Pickford, he's been playing very well. Uh, so I think this game comes down to Luka, uh, Modric, and, and Harry Kane. What can those two guys do? Uh, Luka's going to have to play a fantastic game for Croatia. I know they're definitely the more talented team top to bottom, but they've struggled in their past two games. I mean, having to go to PKs, I thought Russia gave a real big challenge um, You know, where, where I thought they would steamroll them. So Croatia right now is, in my opinion, has kind of linked into this, this semifinal where England has been soaring and just knocking people off um, and, and, and played in a good group too. So, you know, really surprised that England's made it this far. I thought they would get out of group stage, but uh, I, I, if, if, if I had a bet right now, the way these two teams are playing, you know, with the highs that England's have had and the, and the, the scares that Croatia's had uh, in, in the knockout rounds, I, I think I've got to pick England. You know, it's funny, I, I'm kind of on board with you. I, if someone told me before this all started, Belgium would be in the Final Four, France would be in the Final Four, Croatia would be in the Final Four, no problem. England didn't think I didn't think that was coming at all, but they look like the best team now moving in, and sometimes that's what you need, especially in tournament style single elimination games. Ira, what do you like? Because Wednesday I'm going to be real excited that afternoon. Croatia versus England. Well, I mean, I think Sweden helped them make them look that good because Sweden didn't show up for the game. They took one shot the first half. Uh, it seemed like England could just sit there and pass the ball around. They mostly they were on a power play, like a two-man <laughs> power play in hockey. I mean, they were passing the ball at will. I, I, the only thing that was, was disappointing me about England, they won 2 nothing. I think it should have been 5 or 6. They had other chances to score. I mean, Sterling was driving down on the right one time. He had two guys to his left completely open, and he tried to go one-on-two to score. I mean, someone like trying in basketball, doing a, blowing a fast break like that. I just think they had a lot of chances. I, Sweden didn't seem to be trying to win the game. And uh, so that's why, I, but on one hand, look, England looks great. They, they look like they control. They were, the, they were the, probably the best looking of all those teams in the, in the quarterfinals. Uh, but uh, it would be exciting. I'll tell you what, England, France, you know, right, we know from modern history that there's been <laughs> allies and wars and everything, but they did fight a 116-year war between the two countries. So they've been bitter, bitter, bitter rivals overall for you know, centuries. So it would be interesting to see if France and England would be in the final, and I think that would, that would be from a, just a historical perspective be interesting. One of my favorite memes from 4th of July was, uh, you know, the United States government saying to France, hey, France, we need your help. Ah, sorry, we're broke. Well, that's against the Brits. Okay, we're on our way. Um, so <laughs> that's definitely how things have been going for, you know, a couple of centuries uh, in Western Europe. I would love to see that as well. I, 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 can't see, I can't see France beating Belgium. Don't know why. So I'm going to take Belgium and Croatia uh, moving forward in the World Cup regardless. Amazing final next Sunday uh, in the World Cup. 744, it's Iron Sports 95.9. The True Oldies Channel, Mike and Sean here as well. And Ira... They're the two best teams in baseball, in my opinion, and it seems like the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry is still the best in sports. Well, when two teams are on pace to win between 105 to 110 games in the same division, and the Yankees and the Red Sox, that a lot of people, when you say, what's the best rivalry in sports, and they say Yankees-Red Sox, it is exciting to have that. They're going to be, and, and the way the wild card is set up, they have the three division winners win, and then they go advance to the next round, but then the two wild card winners have to play each other. And that's a one-game playoff. And so that's why even though the American League is 
probably set with the five teams. I mean, Cleveland, Boston, New York, and, and Seattle, and Houston, those are the five teams that are going to be in the playoffs. But the fact is, who's going to be those two wild cards? It can be Seattle, is it going to be Houston, or is it going to be Boston or New York? And they're going to be battling to the end to win that division so they don't have to play in that one-game uh, playoff. But Cleveland has also an advantage because they're nine and a half games up. They're going to cruise. They'll probably have this clinched by the beginning of September, and they can get the rotation set up. But uh, the series, I think we didn't talk about last week, but the fact that the Yankees won 8-1 the first game, lost 11 nothing, and then won 11-1. And uh, both teams have superstars and are clobbering the balls, hitting home runs. Uh, I mean, when you look at the Yankee lineup, I mean, I mean Judge, Stanton, Gregarious, Gregari- Torres, Sanchez, Hicks, and Angel Hart, they, they could have eight players um, have uh, 30 home runs. <laughs> and the record has been four. I mean, the record before was four. Twelve teams did that uh, with four home runs. Uh, then you have, and certainly you have stars with the Red Sox with uh, Betts and Martinez. Uh, it, was, it was a great series to watch in terms of just seeing how powerful both those teams are, but the Yankees didn't clobber them one, two out of three. Um, it, we got two more months of us, two and a half more months of watching uh, of, of the whole the playoff series. But, but Ira, you bring up a great point that Cleveland's going to walk into the playoffs. And you're going to see the AL West and the AL East probably fight till the last day just to play a seven-game series or five-game series. Because that play-in game, Ira, you know as a Pirates fan, you guys lost the first two inaugural wild-card playoff games. You guys lost, I think, one to San Fran and um, the other to the Dodgers, no? Well, we lost, yeah, Arietta. Well, we lost to Arietta with the Cubs. Okay, who was, uh, we the Pirates lost to Arietta, who pitched an amazing game, and then and then we have Bumgarner. And when Bumgarner was pitching, like getting every petty out all the time, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a crapshoot to have the one that one game playoff, and, and neither team wants that. They would rather be in the best of five uh, series and not have to play that one game. And boy, that that wild card game is going to be exciting, though, because you could have you could have a Houston Yankee uh, wild card <laughs> game, Verlander versus Severino, uh, winner take all yeah so, ALCS but. rematch just to decide who makes the playoffs and this is why baseball a little bit crazy uh Sean you're a big Yankees fan so we don't need to uh you know harp on this for too long but who do you see coming out of the AL East here man I, I know you're you're a realist and Boston's a good team I no, I, I definitely think it's I think it's the Yankees I think you know getting our guys back and Tanaka back I'll trust CC all day in the playoffs um, I think Sonny. I think Sonny Gray at some point either gets dropped down to as a long reliever. I think at some point the Yanks will bring up Justin Sheffield or make a trade for Cole Hamels or uh, a Hap uh, with um, Toronto. So, you know, I, I just like our bats too much. I know Boston's great, but you know, there's anyway. Even if you ask me, I know I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not the biased fan, but I still don't think I could ever say the Boston Red Sox are going to win the AL East over uh, our beloved New York Yankees. You know the. Really, the, the hinging point, though, is a gentleman named Chris Sale, who is absolutely amazing. And that's a guy they could throw three times in a series on you. So I'm not going to – I mean, I hope the Yankees win the division outright and we don't have to deal with this. But I don't want to see Chris Sale versus Severino or anybody in a one-game playoff uh, just to make – the postseason after winning 105 to 110 games. 748, Iron Sports, True Oldie Channel, Mike and Sean as well. You know, we're into baseball, Ira, but attendance seems to be dropping throughout basically every park in the country. Tell us about it. Well, it's down like 7%. It's going down to its lowest numbers. And if there's the significance is that some markets are really down, like Miami from 21,000 to 10,000 average, Pittsburgh from 24 to 16,000, um, Kansas City from 26 to 20, uh, Houston, Milwaukee, and the Yankees are up. And a lot of, we talked about this earlier on the show, a lot of it was the beginning part of the year, the weather was terrible, uh, the, the, with the delays and making people, nobody wants to watch a game. People will go and watch Michigan and Ohio State in 20-degree temperatures. They're going to go watch the Steelers play, uh, the, the, the Ravens. I mean, I've sat there, I've watched it, but, but no one in April was in, really interested in sitting for three and a half hours watching a baseball game in cold weather, and they don't seem to want to put all the games in the South at the beginning. They don't think it's fair to, to have it in warm weather sites, but they have to do something because the attendance every year, it's worse and worse and worse in terms of starting the game. Now, remember, baseball used to start in mid-April. Now it's starting almost in March. Uh, that, that and they're going up against cold weather, but there's a lot of factors. I mean, they're trying to, you know, people are saying, well, it's the game. It's the, too many strikeouts, too many home runs. 
uh, that type of thing. Uh, there's also talk about the shifts or, or hurting it, the fact that people are doing the shifts and moving their defenses around. Should they change that? But it seems like baseball, to me, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, trying to speed the game up, I think, makes a lot of sense. Uh, I don't like the fact they went to netting. I think that hurts a lot on some of those sites. I think the netting they put in, I've, you know, it's difficult to watch when you're on the, on behind the dugouts. Uh, it's very difficult to see the game with the netting that they have. If they come up with, they have to come up with a better form of netting to make it uh, useful that way. But uh, baseball, you know, it's it's the one sport that people talk about attendance the most. I mean, college football attendance is down. College basketball attendance is down. But we able to talk about baseball attendance. Um, but it's still, I mean, they still get millions and tens of millions of people going to the games. But they just have to figure out ways to to uh, to get the interest and excitement back in terms of you know some of these markets that when the teams are out of the playoffs like the Pirates and a lot of these markets where they don't have a shot. Ira, you know, speaking about the National League, and this is, I feel like this is where a lot more of this comes from. We discussed the American League in depth. It's kind of a five horse race. We pretty much know what this is going to shape up like. The National League's kind of a crapshoot at this point, and this is why I love baseball. If anyone had told me that the Braves and the Phillies would be fighting it out for first place in the National League East, I would have told them they know nothing about sports. So my next question before we move on, of the National League teams that all happen to be dominating right now, which one is going to have the best success this year? you got the Braves in first place, the Phillies in second place, just a half a game back. The Milwaukee Brewers, they love a hot start. They're 54-36. and 36. And then you got the Diamondbacks, who this team manages to always beat up on the Giants, on the Rockies, on the Dodgers. Of those four, Ira, which team is going to end up being the best in the NL? I, I, you know, I, I go back and forth, and I just like the Dodgers. I think with the Dodgers, the Dodgers without Kershaw have fought them, ba- fought back into 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 the playoff race. And, and a month ago, they were totally out of it. And I think now with Kershaw back, I think they're finding they seem to be able to find every year a, a hitter that's hitting like Muncie, you know, out of nowhere. They're able to find that their payroll can be they can spend whatever money they want. They have unlimited like the Yankees, and that's the other thing is that they can make any move they feel like they want to. They're paying like six players, sixty million dollars that aren't even on the team um but i like the dodgers i think that i think in the national league i think the dodgers are the team that in the end will fight. i mean they also had the hangover from losing a game seven in the world series so it's expected they would start the season slow they, they had they were one game away from being world series champions and had to start all away again from the bottom of the mountain but i like the dodgers one of the teams that i was on my radar 100 percent, not for this year not even for the year after was the atlanta braves Love this team. Love the core they're putting together there. They're a plus 68 run differential, which is the best in the National League besides the Cubs. Um, I like this squad. Do I know if they can do it for the rest of the season with young players and kind of moderate pitching? I don't know. Sean, which of these teams can you see holding it out and maybe taking down some hardware in the NL? I don't know, you know, because it, it is tough. It's like you look at these teams, and, and, and a lot of them are young teams. Um, you know, do, do, you, do you expect uh, Arizona to stay on top of the Dodgers? I don't. Do you, do you think a team like Milwaukee is going to stay on top of the Cubs? I don't. Um, I, I think Atlanta has the best shot out of all these teams um, because they have a decent lead over Washington. Do I really trust Philly? Um, but if I had to pick one team to come out of the National League, I still think it's the Cubs. I think top to bottom, the best uh, lineup. Uh, their second baseman, Javier Baez, is playing you know, at an at a MVP level right now. Um, and I think the pitching staff uh, will definitely you know, uh, pick up when they get Darvish back. But um, if, if, if you're asking what team I like the best coming out and to catch up and catch a team, it would be the Cubs because I think out of the teams that are leading right now, I think Atlanta's better than Milwaukee, and I think Arizona's better than Milwaukee uh, as well. I don't, I don't think Milwaukee, even though they have supplies and they played very well, I think the talent level of Chicago is so much further Milwaukee compared to those other uh, uh, divisions uh, from the teams in first and second place that I, I think the Cubs will, will eventually pass Milwaukee and win that division. Mark it down here first on Iron Sports. Milwaukee wins the division. We, they blew a nine-game lead last season. They blew a seven-game lead the season before that. This team can't do that again. There's just no way. They're decent enough at hitting all around. The pitchers don't really get it done. Their bullpen's okay. The Cubs aren't what they used to be, and I don't expect them to— If I had to choose a team out of the National League, I would take the Braves 
or the Dodgers before I took the Cubs. Just don't buy into them this year, and I think Milwaukee finally holds out. Let's get into your uh, mid-season awards. So a lot of people don't realize we're 90-plus games into this baseball season, which is more than halfway, but we do the All-Star game a little late around Major League Baseball. But, uh, Ira, if we had to vote so far, who's your AL and NL MVPs? I would give it to Trout. He's having a great year. Mike Trout of, of the Anaheim Angels or Los Angeles Angels. Uh, again, we talked about the wins against replacement uh, ratio, but uh, his, with the team, he's not going to make the playoffs again. 20 of our home runs, 50 RBIs, hitting 312. But the two guys on the Red Sox are Betts and Martinez, 22 home runs for Betts, 27 for Martinez. I mean, they're having monster years also. So I think it's, it's, I think it's one of those three. I mean, I, I'm sure Sean's going to say judge for the Yankees. Uh, but I think, <laughs> I think Trout, I like giving, I like giving, unlike basketball and football where the players matter, in baseball, I mean, you could have two LeBron James on a baseball team and they're not, they're not going to win the World Series. They only hit three LeBron times a night. Yeah, so you're only <laughs> up right. Barry Bonds, as great as he was, could only uh, so, but I, I do like. I mean, I, I so I think Mike Trout is the best baseball player, and that's who I. I mean, to me, valuable. It's most outstanding. Mike Trout's the best baseball player in baseball, and he should keep winning the awards until he's not the most best. Not until he's not the best player in baseball. Ira, you know, me being a Yankee fan as well, I would take about seven players before Judge on this team. Yeah. We got some players yeah. on this team. Sean AL NL MVP. What do you like? I think. Uh, <laughs> I, you have to go Mike Trout and AL. I mean, there, there, there's no doubt about it. I know the two guys in Boston playing Mookie Betts is playing uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, the, the second baseman for Cleveland. I mean, he's having a great year. Even Lindor having a great year. And, and who forgets about Manny Machado? Um, so, but, but I think Mike Trout, just what he does, what he brings, he's the best baseball player on the planet, and, and he's unbelievable. Crazy stat, we see uh, the fan voting coming out. He's 26 years old. He's been to seven All-Star games. I mean, that's who this guy is, and it's not just because he's a popular player. He's popular because he's amazing, and he plays for, you know, the Los Angeles um, Angels of Anaheim, you know, so he's not in the big market, uh, you know, even though it says Los Angeles. I mean, it's really in Anaheim outside of L.A. Yeah. It, it's, it's, he, he doesn't get the East Coast um, uh, um, media coverage that other people would get, you know, over here. Um, he's always compared to Bryce Harper, who, by the way, 25, and he's been gone in sixth. Uh, all-star game, but I think you have to give it a trout, even over the two guys in Boston, they're having great years. On the NL side, I think it's a little closer. Um, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, great year. Harper's even having a great year, but my guy, Freddie Freeman, the first baseman from Atlanta Braves, I just think he's having an unbelievable year. Um, really, uh, you know, 16 home runs, 60 RBIs, um, yeah, I believe he's batting three. 30, somewhere in there. He's, he's having a great year, and he's taken a team in the Atlanta Braves who are a lot of young guys, and he's really the leader of that team, and he's got a team in first place when no one thought the Atlanta Braves would be there. So if I went right now, NL MVP, I'd pick Freddie Freeman. Freeman's not a bad pick there because, yeah, he's well younger than me, and he's the oldest guy in that team by a half a decade. Uh, and so he's really managing a, a core of young players there in Atlanta, and I think this is going to be a good team for a long way going forward. We'll touch on Cy Young Awards next week here on Ira on Sports. Before we do that, though, you know, you guys brought up Manny Mikado. This guy has to get moved. Baltimore is a dumpster, and he's going to leave. Ira, what do you think, or where do you think Manny Mikado lands up? Um, um, I think... What, first of all, what Machado is doing on one of the worst teams is going to lose 105 games because Bryce Harper is complaining. It's like, look, everyone's walking me. I'm not seeing good pitches. This is too hard to be a superstar. I can't deal with them. <laughs> Machado, 21 home runs, 60 RBIs. He's hitting 313. Uh, he, he's averaging 35 home runs the past three years. I, he doesn't complain. He just goes out and plays. He plays great defense. He's hitting great offense, and he's on a terrible team. And, he, and, of course, everybody's trying to walk him every game. He's the only hitter in the lineup. He's, not, he's taking his walks. He's not striking out. Wow. I mean, <laughs> uh, perhaps the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers can make moves like that. I think a team that, that because whoever signs him, if he gets traded, is going to need to sign him to this monster contract. There's very few teams that can afford Mikado's uh, uh, money, so it's going to be. I think it's going to be somebody that's you know ready to sign him to the monster three hundred million dollar type contract. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I I thought that LA would have got this done a long time ago. You had a, a an all star shortstop and Corey Seager goes down. You've got the hole to fill. This guy wants to play shortstop. You have nobody else. 
I thought this would have been done a long time ago. So, yeah, L.A. was the natural landing spot for me. Sean, what about you before we move on from baseball? Manny Mikado, where do you see him? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, you hear the news, it's the Dodgers, you know, so you're going to hear those flagship names, you know. Uh, I think we've even heard Boston in there. Um, but I'll give you a team that, you know, maybe people aren't thinking of, and that's Milwaukee. I mean, a young team that where you just picked them to, to finish and beat out the Cubs. I, I think, you know, a team like that where, you know, they have the money, they're a younger team, they're showing that they can play. Um, do I say he wants to go there? No, but I could see a team kind of like that maybe coming in, making a move. Uh, but I think the logical pick would be the Dodgers. Um, I like your pick, which you just said, uh, Mike, but, but I'm going to go outlier, and I'm going to say he ends up with uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, even if it's just on a rental. You know, how many chances are they going to have to be beating out the Cubs this deep into the season um, and adding a superstar like that? So it also depends on what the Orioles are looking for him. You know, it seems at this point a lot of people are scared because they know he's leaving. Hey, I'm just going to wait it out, and he's going to sign with me, and I take my chances at free agency over trading for him and giving up a bunch of assets. So um, time will tell, but I'll go with the Milwaukee Brewers. How cute is that, though? The last time the Milwaukee Brewers made a free agent splash, I know who it was, CC Sabathia. Oh, is that last that time out. they did any? It worked. He he pitched every other day for a yeah, month and a half, and they made it the was one of the best postseason performances I've ever seen in my life. No, I'm not uh, discrediting you. I'm saying that the last time they made a splash, they actually did something with it, and then the Yankees took on those scraps afterwards. 801, Iron Sports, we're over. What do you know? 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Iron Wimbledon. We're down to our final eight here, and you think it might be a little lopsided. Um, this tournament is, so far, it has been on the men's side. It's just been impressive to watch where we're at. But this is the week. I mean, you got, on Wednesday, some amazing matches, and it went Friday to Sunday, because you have a combined 20 titles for Federer, you have 17 for Nadal, and 12 for Djokovic, and they're all still in it. There were three of the final eight. And you could have Djokovic and Nadal in the semifinals. Federer hasn't dropped a set. Nadal hasn't dropped a set. They're cruising along. It, it, their matches are over in an hour and a half. Um, Federer's style, the way he plays, is he's serving um, unbelievably. Um, and what separates these great players is their return of serves. They're playing on grass. They're getting balls served at them 120, 130 miles an hour, and they're able to win these points. These other players aren't able to do that. And plus, they can play five sets. Um, I can't wait for them to play each other. I, I think it's going to be. I mean, if you look at Joker, uh, Djokovic and Nadal, Nadal, the record is 26 to 25 that uh, uh, Nadal has over Djokovic, and Djokovic won the last. Uh, oh, the time they played in grass at the Wimbledon. Um, it's it's just tremendous to watch. Um, the semifinals on Wednesday, uh, Federer is playing Kevin Anderson. It's going to be a very interesting match. Kevin Anderson was in the finals of the U.S. Open last year. He's a tall South African. He serves really well, but again, these tall servers. Uh, Federer's his return of serve is so good. And in the other quarters, you're going to have uh, Isner from America, who we saw in Miami Open, who won, uh, play Ronick from uh, Canada, who's a very interesting player. It'd be great to see Isner go against Federer in, in, a, in a semifinal. Uh, then on the other side, you have Nadal versus uh, going to be probably Del Poto from uh, Argentina. And we saw, I mean, he's a tremendous player. He won Indian Wells and beat Federer. Uh, that's going to be a great semifinal. Uh, and, and so it'll be, and, and Djokovic could play Nishikori from Japan. Uh, It's just, to me, this is what, it's great, it's on ESPN. Uh, I think Wimbledon brings out the best of players. You're playing on a surface that they don't usually play on any time otherwise these three weeks, Um, and it's a very fast surface, it's unpredictable bounces, and typically the best players in the world win here because it's so difficult to play, and you really have to have great hand-eye coordination, you have to have great serves, and you have to have a great return of serve. Beyond Borg did not have a great serve, but he won five Wimbledon titles because he was a great return of server. So it's been good. And, and one of the players we had on our, one of our show, Francois Tiafo, he had a good run. He won his first two rounds. He beat Fernando Valdasco, who was the 30th seed in the tournament. And he was up two sets to none in, and in, the, in the third set in the tiebreaker, and then he lost in the third round. But I thought he had a great run. Uh, he's 20, I said 20 years old. And to make it to the third round of Wimbledon is a, is a great step. And I can't wait for to see what he does at the, uh, at the U.S. Open later. But uh, from the men's perspective, uh, it's, been, it's, it's, a great, it's been a great so far, and it's going to be even better this week. Let's, can we just for one second talk about John Isner? 
you don't have to go into this in depth, but it seems like uh, all the analysts are saying this guy's serve when he's on point is just untouchable. And like a lot of the people he's playing against, uh, we saw Abot and uh, Bellamens on in the previous previous rounds. These guys are just shaking their heads sometimes at Isner's serves. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that's the advantage on grass. That's why you see some of these big ser- servers like Isner and Anderson. Uh, I mean, you're, you, they are, they're just they're very difficult, and they're over on grass because the surface is so fast and it's slick. Uh, a serve like that is almost impossible to return. And uh, you can see how many sets that Isner takes a tiebreaker. When it's 6-6, six, six, you, you play out in the Wimbledon, and you go 6-6, six, six, and then at the 7, you play a tiebreaker, where you just go points a bit and get the first one to 7, win by 2. And he's able to get maybe one break a serve and win that in the tiebreaker, but it's almost impossible in a tiebreaker to take a point off Isner. He's always going to win his point, so you put more pressure. So you double fault one time, then you're going to lose the match. So Isner could win a, a match, 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, seven, six. He's won his last match. He won 7-6, seven, 7-6 six, seven, six in the, the two of the three sets. But it's great. I mean, I like John Isner because he's a really great guy, and he's helped out a lot of American tennis players. I don't think he's got a lot of credit, and he's getting older. I said he's 33 years old. He won Miami, um, and I'd like to see him at least make the semis. I think if he can win this one semifinal match and make the semis against Federer, that'd be great. Ira, we had a big golf tournament this past weekend. It was the Greenbriars won by Kevin Na. Nobody seems to care about that because Tiger and Phil have come out and said they want to play a match play game. For $10 million. Going back on the stats, when they play together, they're pretty balanced. What's your take on this? <laughs> you know, it's always funny. The two things that blew my phone up this weekend was Cousins and then Tiger and Phil. But um, I think it's great. I think that they were supposed to play on July 3rd. I mean, there was a rumor that that was going to happen, and they were going to announce this. Um, anything that brings to golf. I, mean, I was reading the book on Tiger Woods, and they mentioned the shootout at Sherwood when he went against Sergio Garcia and played in those tournaments. And, and Tiger, that was one thing that they were getting. When they had those, those tournaments when Tiger was playing, uh, the ratings were above every other sport except football. Uh, so it was wow. um, people, people, this will get great ratings if Tiger played Phil. Uh, you can see the ratings they get now. Uh, and I think it's a great idea. It's, it's long, anything that brings excitement to sports, uh, it should be done in the summer, one of these uh, Tuesday or Wednesday days when there's only baseball on. Uh, as we talked about boxing, I, I don't understand why some of these sports try to compete against football. This is when you know Good boxing point. should be now. This is when that shootout of the but golf should be in rare form. That's what golf is doing by putting their schedule more compressed into the summer. But no, I'd love to see a Tiger Phil. And there's been talk that they're going to put their own money up, which I don't know if that's allowed, but that'd be neat <laughs> if like Tiger put up two million and Phil took up two million and six million was uh, paid by somebody else. That would be exciting to watch. You know, it's funny though you bring this up. I've been wanting this for years. Ricky Fowler is my favorite golfer. When Ricky was trying to set up this little, I don't know if it was a tournament or what it was, but it was going to be match golf at night, based out of Detroit, I believe, and Rory McIlroy was on board. That fell apart. This is something, you're absolutely right, Ira, especially in the off-seasons, on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, who doesn't want to watch Phil versus Tiger match play? I know that I'd be there. 807, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. Um... Boxing, we had some interesting UFC fights over the weekend. Uh, I don't know what's going on with that sword. It's devolving into the uh, into the you know WWE area. But we do have some good boxing on the horizon, um, Ira, and it's going to be Manny Pacquiao versus Lucas Mathes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the days when Pacquiao used to fight and it was must-see TV, I, he's still Manny Pacquiao. He's still pretty good, and this could be a good fight. And I watched the fight last year when he fought Horn. He's an exciting fighter to watch. I know people look at the Mayweather fight when he somehow was not Manny Pacquiao during that fight at all, but he's usually a fighter that makes a fight and is exciting to watch. It's on ESPN+. Plus. So if you're thinking about it, you have to go online and log in. Uh, trust me, it's hard to do. Don't think <laughs> five minutes before the fight you have to do. You have to go through so because you probably have an ESPN little schedule or a password, and you don't know it, and you have to log in, and it's like $4 or whatever. But it is. Ex- I think it's going to be a very exciting fight. Um, there's not a lot of good fights this summer to watch. So it's Saturday night, and uh, I think it's going to be good. And I think Pacquiao, I mean, I was reading, uh, everyone's putting the fork in Pacquiao. Um, I thought he... I thought he dominated the Horn fight. I thought that was a bad fight for him. I expect him to win this fight. And I still think there's another really big money fight in the future for Manny Pacquiao. Um, before we wrap this up, um, Ira, I'll go to you in a second here. But hockey is a big thing for me and Sean. Sean, Jonathan Tavares, this guy has been the quiet captain of the worst-run franchise in hockey for the past decade. He left. Um, he kind of did it last minute, and he's going to Toronto. They are now the new favorites to win the Stanley Cup. 
Sean, Tavares is being called a traitor by the New York media, the fans. You think this is deserving? Yes and no. Only because we know, you know, how, how much sports means to, to, to New Yorkers. You know, they, they, they live and die by their team, so I understand it. But what I will say is what that guy did for that team and also where he's going. He's going back home. He's from Toronto. They have a young budding team. And, and I, I don't think it – I understand where it's coming from, but it's almost like a reverse LeBron when LeBron left Cleveland to go to Miami. I mean, what he's doing, and I don't think people realize this just yet, but what Tavares means to, to the Toronto Maple Leafs, they just shot to the number one odds to win the Stanley Cup. Their potential two first lines are Zach Hyman, Tavares, and Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner put up elite numbers playing next to Tyler Bozak. That's okay, what I mean, yeah, and you're going to send like Austin, Matthews Austin Matthews to the second line. With Nylander, and oh yeah, by the way, they picked up Patrick Marleau in free agency, a veteran who put up 27 goals last year, who still has his speed. I mean, we are looking at the beginning of what the Penguins did with Crosby and Malkin, what the Chicago Blackhawks did with Taze and Kane. I mean, this is what these guys are. I mean, Matthews is unbelievable. Tavares is better. And he's, only, and he's, he's done it longer. He's a proven commodity. And, and with guys like Nylander and, and Marner, you know, two young wings who have unlimited untapped potential to, to have them centered by Matthews and Tavares and essentially have two, two number one lines that would be starting lines on nearly any team in the NHL. I mean, I understand why the guy went, um, but, but, if, but put it this way, in this, in this perspective, I'm a Ranger fan. If he was on the Rangers and left, for what he meant to that team and what he would have meant to you know, be in the Rangers center, I understand where it's coming from, but at the end of the day, he gave you everything he had. He's going home. He's earned the right to make that decision. That's why we have free agency. And right now, on paper, you know, they are the favorites, and I would go in and put my money on the Toronto Maple Leafs to win it all next year. I would never take a team that's never been together to win it all, ever. I also wouldn't take Washington to Las go back-to-back. Back. Go ahead, Ira. No, but I Yeah, he also said I'm Vegas was going to get swept in the first round. And that didn't work out. So I'm just saying, Mike, I mean, you can't look at those first two lines and not say this is special. Go ahead, I. No, I, I think that Las Vegas totally I, – I, 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 jumped, I jumped on your punchline. But what Las Vegas did, I think that's – I think in a lot of sports, I think Las Vegas' impact is going to change a lot. I think teams are going to say – sometimes not rightfully so. And even what Atlanta's doing this year, it's like, no, we can win now. I think it's giving a lot of teams like now Sacramento and the NBA, I don't think Sacramento's saying we're going to win. <laughs> but I think a lot of these other teams are saying, wait, we can, if we make the right moves, if our GM does that, it's putting pressure on these general managers because it's going to be this win now. It's like, no, why can't we win right now? And why can't we put the team together that's going to win right now? So I think that that's the, what they're probably that. And I, just, and I just think of the way Toronto was. I mean, they were a pretty good team this year. You know, and Matthews was leading them and now you got you put a guy like Tavares and it's it's not to say that 100% I think I think they would put but I would put my money on it I think that those two front lines are so stacked now in the talent level of those guys I mean Matthew's going into his third he's a superstar I mean, if it wasn't for Connor McDavid, I mean, we'd be talking about Matthews like he was Connor McDavid. So to add a guy of Tavares's one character, two leadership, three actual ability, Literal I mean, ability. I just think it yeah. takes that team to another level. The only thing you're missing from this argument is that of all the players you mentioned, the Mitch Marners, the Michael Nylanders, the Austin Matthews, the rookie of the year... Happens to play for the New York Islanders and Matthew Barzal. We'll wrap it up on that. He could have he could have taken a chance at Barzal for a little bit. We're like way past time here on Iron Sports. Ira, we look forward to you being in studio next week. Sean LaGrega, Mike Balsamo. Let's catch up next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.